I turn yes. one in. So we'll have four he's number one. Okay, public comments so far? And I'm cutting it right now. So we're starting with um, Chris Bintan, Bintan. Are you guys mic'd up? Chris? Yes. Okay. What do I see? Uh, do I have a time limit? Five minutes. Okay, first of all, thank you. And thank you for everyone that's here. Uh, before public comments, Carrie Buck speaks of civility policy. Last board meeting, Sean Youngblood, Youngblood and Meander Blades were heckled repeatedly while speaking by Christine Perez, who was a teacher in our district. And uh, another kindergarten teacher in our district also was heckling. Twice the board members, from what I can see, questioned Carrie Buck about the civility policy. Twice the board members were ignored. It was all brought to light, however, during the break in the meeting when the two heckling teachers approached Carrie Buck and stated they had donated to her re-election campaign and were planning to walk for her. So it's very simple. There's only a civility policy if you are conservative or your politics are opposite of Kerry Buck. If you are a leftist, part of the teachers union, and give to Kerry Buck's campaign, then no civility policy applies to you. Heckle away. The behavior is disgusting and needs to be immediately addressed because I will not be giving to your campaign. Also, there were calls for investigation into Kerry Buck using district equipment and students to print thank you cards at El Camino for her personal business. Uh, as far as I'm aware, no board member is allowed to use students, uh, district printers, or the print shop at El Camino for personal use. Why is the district providing students, printers, and ink for Carrie Buck and her private business? When is Carrie Buck gonna be held accountable for her many bylaw violations. Why is the district not taking action? Okay, next, Pam. When I saw that the law firm that's here today is going to make a presentation to help the district understand the bylaws, I thought, wow, this is a complete joke. How can the law firm that has been advising the school district, who is partly responsible for the district's own pickle that you're in, actually give you objective advice on how to correct themselves now? Complete joke. You really should have someone on the outside, independent and objective, not beholden to certain board members to give you an objective look and everything that you've been doing wrong. So tonight on the six o'clock agenda, you're violating the Brown Act again. You have a proposed bylaw change 9323, which is the bylaw that allows everyone to understand how items can be added to the agenda. The bylaw that you've included was revised in either 2013 or 15, I can't remember. But you're pretending that you agendized the bylaw that was changed under El Sasser's tenure. El Sasser wrote me an email because I was wondering, I hear that the process for putting items on agenda has changed. I don't see anything published on your website. The last one published on your website is very old. Where's the new policy? He said, there's a new policy, but it's not in writing. <laughs> so here you are again, pretending that you're properly agendizing an item, and you're not. You're all discussing at the last meeting in August. There was a question by Trustee Buck. Why did El Sasser want it to change? So she's acknowledging that there was a change. But you're all pretending that you properly agendized it, and you have not. So again, why is this law firm allowing you to continue your bad behavior? 
you violated bylaw 9240. You did not do a self-evaluation that was required by your own rules back in 2021. You violated 9251 when you are allowing certain trustees to act unilaterally. You violated 9310 by not actually having a review of your bylaws. You're supposed to have an annual review of your bylaws. Again, if the attorney did his job, said, hey, you people really need to follow your own rules, follow your own bylaws. Perhaps you won't be in the people that you're in. Your website also admitted key bylaws until the public noted their absence. You violated 9321, Trustee Freeman, when you ended a meeting for a period of time last fall. All board members were present. A quorum was present. You violated 9322.31. It states the board shall report out actions it took during closed session. Karen Freeman did not report out all the actions that took place during the November 16, 2021 board meeting. You violated 9323. That policy was not visible on your website. I had to provide a screenshot to the superintendent secretary because we had a ridiculous back and forth where she said, it's on the website. I said, no, it's not. It's on the website. No, it's not. I sent her a screenshot. It went from 9322 to some other number and skipped over 9323. Until I provided that screenshot to her, that item was not included for the public to see. And that is 9323, the one that allows the public to know how to put items on the agenda. You violated Ed Code 51530. There was agenda item 19 on the January 11, 2022 agenda. Marxism is, is disallowed by California law to be taught in public, public schools. Uh, violation of 9325. Meetings are not being conducted in accordance with that bylaw. Violation of 909021. There was no annual review set for Superintendent Alsasser. I think I've given enough examples. I've got like three pages here. I, I don't know what is going on. I, I, I really do not understand why you can't follow your own rules. We're all just sick of it. I'd rather be somewhere else right now. You know, maybe you're all lovely people, but I'd really prefer not to be here. I think you need to have a new attorney, someone outside this organization to give you a fair assessment of what you're all doing wrong. Thank you. After Todd will be John Hansen, Ed Gunn, Mark Berry. Hello, everybody. Uh, I just want to say after Pam's list of all the violations that we all have experienced, I think it just needs to be clear that the parents and community members here are extremely disappointed in how things have been handled, especially in relationship to the uh, Brown Act violations that we're talking about here tonight, the alleged Brown Act violations that are happening tonight, where we experienced uh, possible other Brown Act violations that were just swept under the rug with an explanation that didn't seem to match the definition of the word quorum, among other things, uh, that I think is just very disappointing. And we are missing transparency, we're missing communication, are missing consistency in how leadership handles things here at the Century Urban Unified School District, and that's something that we want to change. So hopefully this meeting goes well tonight, and we have some information come out of it that is helpful. However, it's not going to fix what's been done in the past, so we need to do something else about it. Thank you. My name is John Hansen, 48-year resident of Yorba Linda, proud graduate of this district, father of three graduates of the district, <clears throat> unfortunately not a grandfather of kids who will graduate from the district for various reasons. Very troubled to be here this afternoon. I didn't even realize this meeting was taking place until about three, four hours ago. All of a sudden I received a couple phone calls. I'm involved with the Yorba Linda Taxpayers Association, and we're very involved in local issues and how our taxpayer money is being spent and I had a couple of 
people give me a call and let me know that there's a special Brown Act violation meeting that's taking place today. And uh, so I went to the district website and I found it, but these folks had sent me screenshots of a Carrie Buck Twitter feed that said, next, PYL, USD, regular school board meeting, September 13th, the special in caps at 4.30 for Brown Act training as required by the OC district attorney for violations of Brown Act by blazing young blood. Regular session starts at 7 p.m. So we've got somebody using their personal Twitter feed. Does the district not have its own Twitter? Wouldn't it be better if we had everybody in the district to receive that same, that Twitter, that, that announcement, instead of a candidate who's up for re-election, sadly? And it's really interesting that then she hijacks on her personal thing and puts the district logo to lend a, some degree of legitimacy to her personal feed. If she Gross. cared about transparency and about notifying the public, wouldn't you think she, as the board president, might have put it on the district Twitter feed instead of her own? Yes. Okay. So that's my first question. How does a board member, let alone the sitting board president, justify the use of her personal Twitter feed to notify the public while downloading the district's logo? That's a question I have, folks. Is this an attempt to lend a degree of legitimacy to a blatant attempt to smear your fellow board members? It's a question I have, young lady. You think that Blades and Youngblood committed ground act violations can you please provide the public with definitive confirmation from the Orange County District Attorney that Brown Act violations were occurred, as you're alleging? And if they were official Brown Act violations, why are not they, they not in your agenda? Saying why we're why we're here today and why we're wasting your Melinda taxpayer money for a special session. Again, I represent the Yorba taxpayers. I'd love to see the confirmation. Official confirmation. Now, are we here for a situation where we might have the pot calling the kettle black? <laughs> My understanding is President Buck issued a directive district-wide that banned certain face masks. This was a major policy change that did not enjoy the benefit of a board dis true discussion and a vote. Is that not an act? Is that not a Brown Act violation? Folks, I have, I have to ask that question. Further, President Buck summarily in the past year shut down board meetings without obtaining a second or sustaining or sustaining vote. Again, she acted unilaterally without seeking the support or the concurrence of her fellow board members. Do we have a school board president or do we have a school board dictator? Thank you. Hi, Ed Gunderson, 47-year resident of Yorba Linda. Went through Mabel Payne, Yorba Linda Middle School when it was still Yorba Linda Junior High School, and then, of course, bus to Fullerton back in the day uh, to attend Troy High School. Well, I just wanted to come up and say, uh, teachers, good, union, bad. Now, I want to give everybody a little glimpse into why I say teachers, good, union, bad. And I want to give people an opportunity to change their reality. And that is, it is now legal to leave the union. You are no longer held hostage. According to the Supreme Court ruling on Janus versus AFSCME, optouttoday.com is where, you'll, where you can go and find out more information. And those for you out there, optouttoday.com. Teachers. It takes five minutes and a trip to the post office to leave the teachers' union. No change in your salary or benefits. No more giving your hard-earned money to an organization that calls itself friend of the family. Right. These people call parents domestic terrorists, 
and they actively work to harm your children. Through sexualization, racism, socialism, alternatives, with transgenderism, they pollute our children. And they are responsible for locking down our schools during the entire COVID process, the COVID scam. The American Association of Educators would cost you $16.50 a month. How's that in regards to your union dues? $2 million of liability insurance, legal protection, and an attorney who responds to your emails within one day. Supplementary insurance is also available. Christian Educators Association, $239 a year, basically 20 bucks a month. You can get rid of the teachers' union. That includes liability insurance, comprehensive legal consultation on personal and educational and religious issues. Several health-related insurances are also available through that, including your pets. Stop giving thousands of dollars to the power-hungry beast that is destroying our country from within. Today is a day. Opt out. Instantly join either alternative organization online and become someone who stands up to the cultural Marxism that is happening today. You can find these organizations at christianeducators.org, that is christianeducators.org, or the American Association of Educators, which you can find at aaeteachers.org, and that is aaeteachers.org. Ladies and gentlemen, union bad. Now, who does the union want in office? That is Karen Freeman and Carrie Buck. That's who the union wants in office. That's who they want to negotiate with. We need to get rid of them. Rich Engel, Todd Frazier, that's who we need to replace them. Thank you very much. Yes. I'm a little emotional. My last place I'm going to be is here tonight. I'm going into major surgery tomorrow morning. My wife is livid at me for being here. Um, I have met with the superintendent. I have told, uh, brought up a couple of things relating to the bylaw violations. They've all been mentioned today, but I'm going to focus on one of them and the response that I'm extremely disappointed in. And that is, as we know, Two meetings were unilaterally canceled, adjourned. The January 19th meeting was adjourned at 6.02. Full two minutes into the meeting, it was adjourned. And I, my response that I got back was, in the bylaws that allows for less than a quorum to adjourn a meeting. That is not how the bylaws work. It's not a pick and choose. There's a hierarchy. If there's a quorum, which there were five members, the board up there on January 19th. I've sent the video of that meeting. Clearly, you're all there. That is a quorum. You can't go to point number two and say less than a quorum gives the president a right to cancel a meeting. You can't. It's clearly in the bylaws. The third thing can happen is the secretary can adjourn the meeting if there are no other board members present. So when you're talking about less than a quorum, that means just one of you are here or two of you are here. If five of you are here, that is not an option to adjourn a meeting. I've also sent evidence of the January 19th meeting that not only were you all here, but if you look at the audience, you will know there's a lot of people missing. And why are they missing at 602? Hmm. The staff wasn't present. Hmm. The union rep wasn't there. Wow. They had prior knowledge with the prior superintendent that that meeting was predetermined to be canceled. Yep. And you did not respond to that in my message to you. Is that is a clear violation of the bylaws. Predetermined, premeditate the canceling of a meeting. And not only was it canceled at six o'clock, 
the vast majority of the public comes here at 7 p.m. They were coming in here, you know, giving, getting babysitters for their kids, missing doing homework with their kids, and find out that the meeting was canceled and everybody's left. And so I, quite honestly, I am upset. And I've been talking about bylaws for going on a year. My first memo to all of you was, you need to review your bylaws. They haven't been looked at in 10, 15 years. And it's ridiculous that you can't look at them. I'm also disappointed that Terry Buck got a clean bill of health at the last meeting by specifically asking the attorney, did I violate the Brown Act? He said, no. Well, good, you didn't violate the Brown Act, you violated the bylaws. And I asked the attorney out in the hall, did you look at the bylaws? And he brushed me off so it was clear that he only focused on working with the district attorney's office for Brown Act violations and not the bylaws. And I agree with previous speakers, you need a new attorney, a third party that knows something about bylaws and look at it, and I'm going to point out that I have in the past, your bylaws don't even allow, you don't even know who your parliamentarian is, okay? Most organizations, the president, it's not in the president's uh, current job description that she, she's the parliamentarian. It's still not clear in your bylaws who is responsible for investigating bylaw violations. It's not you, the superintendent. You can't unilaterally say she's got a clean bill of health. Okay, it needs to be reviewed, and you need a new attorney. You need somebody who specializes. If you want him to represent the district or other things, but you need an expert, third party, and you need to get off your duff and look at these bylaws. And there's an election coming up, and I don't want anybody to get a false, clean bill of health when they don't deserve it. So why are we here tonight? Um, well, it is a good practice to, to do a regular Brown Act update. Um, we're here tonight because we were asked to be here tonight by the Orange County District Attorney's Office in their June 27th letter. Um, so what they require us to do is provide board members with additional resources or training with respect to subject matter and notice restrictions associated with special and emergency meetings under the Brown Act. Um, the primary thrust of this presentation is going to be on those issues. It's not going to be a comprehensive Brown Act training. Uh, typically, I ask for three hours when we do a comprehensive Brown Act training because there's so much in the Brown Act, um, but we don't have that kind of time tonight. Uh, all right. Uh, just a little bit of background with respect to the whole uh, district attorney's uh, investigation. Um, just just so it's clear on the record in case 
any other information maybe going around. Um, I didn't answer any questions to the district attorney's office on behalf of Dr. L. Sasser, uh, on behalf of President Buck. Uh, I acted as a conduit for information, so I would get information from the superintendent secretary and the specific information that I was given um, was uh, when were agendas posted. This is, this is the limit, the, the extent of what I was asked to do. When were the agendas posted and where were they posted? Um, so we provided photographs of postings uh, around the district. We provided website information from Alyssa that showed when the uh, agendas went active uh, on to the district's website. Um, but beyond that, the investigator didn't ask me any specific questions. I didn't. I wasn't a witness in the investigation. Um, so it was simply. Uh, acting as a, a conduit for information. And and to my knowledge, Dr. L. Sasser was not interviewed as a witness um, for the investigation. Uh, I've mentioned previously that the, the investigation appears to have been done solely based on the record. Um, so information that was posted in the agendas and then information that was included on the district's website by way of video or audio recordings. That's what the district attorney used. Um, and as we'll get to it later on, um, but in my opinion, I think that information is sufficient, and I'll explain why uh, when we get to the emergency meeting discussion. So I just wanted to put that out there in case there's any other information going around. I didn't, you know, I wasn't at answering questions on behalf of anybody on this board, and I wouldn't do so without consulting. So, uh, all right. So just to give a little background on the Brown Act. The general rule, uh, the requirement, the default under the Brown Act is that all legislative body meetings must be held in open public session. Um, the, the idea is that the people's business should be done in public. And so there are very few exceptions to that. Um, those are your closed session exceptions, which we're going to talk about. But the general requirement is that all business be done in open public session, which we are living that today. We are doing this presentation in open public session. And this is always an open public session topic. This is, unless there's litigation threatened, the Brown Act should not be a, a closed session topic. So notice uh, of meetings and agendas. There are three types of meetings in the Brown Act. There are regular board meetings, there are special board meetings, and there are emergency board Regular and special are very common. Emergency board meetings are exceedingly rare. And I've been doing this for 16 years now, and I'm only aware of two. One was after the significant earthquake on Easter Sunday in El Centro, and the other was in San Bernardino City Unified School District after uh, uh, an individual came onto school property uh, shot and killed his ex-wife or his wife and shot and killed a student. Um, those are the two times that I'm aware of uh, emergency meetings happening. And, and our firm represents a lot of schools up and down, school districts up and down the state. And so um, emergency meetings are exceedingly rare. And we'll, we'll see why that is. With respect to regular board meetings, regular board meetings are kind of the default under the Brown Act. These are the meetings that require the agenda to be posted 72 hours in advance of the meeting. These are the meetings that are required to be set and scheduled at your organizational meeting every year or whenever it is that you ultimately set your board calendar. Um, but these are the ones that appear on your website and, and show what people can rely upon for the next 12 months in terms of meetings with the board. With respect to the content of the agenda, it has to reasonably apprise the public of matters to be considered in sufficient detail to allow them to determine whether to participate at the meeting or not. So the agenda itself will include a blurb, typically no more than 20 words, about what the board is considering. And then there may be a reference to an attachment. So whenever there's a resolution, for example, uh, that resolution would be included as an attachment 
cross-reference to agenda item, you know, D4 or whatever it might uh, correspond to. But it has to be in that in that initial agenda document. The information has to be sufficient and concise uh, in a way to let the public know what's going on, so that they don't have to dig through and rummage through the agenda and through the supporting materials to figure out whether they want to come to the meeting or not. Uh, each item has to be discussed, uh, or excuse me, described. Um, so each item that you're going to be transacting that night needs to be described in the agenda. Um, most school districts don't have a problem. So it's not an issue um, where school districts are generally having problems with their agenda. They've, they've learned over the years how to do this. I think that the online systems that are in place for creating the agenda um, also provide step-by-step -step guidance as they're actually creating the agenda. And then you have your experts, executive assistants, who do a wonderful job uh, in working extremely hard to get this information put together on a regular basis. Um, so that's regular meetings. Uh, we're going to talk about public comments uh, as well um, uh, briefly, but just know that there's a difference between public comment that's allowed to occur at a regular board meeting versus public comment that's allowed to occur at a special board meeting as defined by the Brown Act. I will tell you before we even get to that section that not every district holds well to that limitation, but there is a limitation on what can be discussed during public comment at a special board meeting. Special board meetings are a separate uh, type of board meeting. They allow for school board to call a meeting on a shorter notice and that notice is 24 hours uh, the agenda has to be posted just exactly the same way as the um, the regular meeting agenda has to be posted uh, it has to specify the time and place of the special meeting and the business to be transacted most important part of government code 54956 when it comes to special meetings and this goes to what happened on February 2nd and why I think that the district attorney may have found it the way they did. Uh, no other business shall be considered at these meetings by the legislative body. So, and I'll clarify that when I get to the emergency parts, but that's a very specific part of the special meeting agenda. The other thing that's that's been recently added to the limitations on special meetings is that uh, the compensation of local agency executives cannot be discussed at a special meeting. So if the board was going to be hiring a superintendent, for example, the board could discuss superintendent candidates at a special meeting. The board could select a superintendent at a special meeting. The board could not, either an open or closed session, have any discussion about what they're going to pay the superintendent at a special meeting. That's a limitation that was added to the Brown Act several years ago, primarily in response to the City of Bell scandal, um, where a lot of executive salary decisions were made in meetings that happened late at night that may have been noticed but were given very short notice so people couldn't attend. So it's one of those things where we actually get calls on this question quite a bit because, you know, superintendents move around, school districts superintendents retire, um, and they, it oftentimes happens in a situation where we need to appoint an interim, for example, and we have a very short amount of time to do that. Can we do this? We can appoint, but you can't discuss how much you're going to pay that interim superintendent until you have a regular board meeting. Uh, and so that is an important limitation to keep in mind for special board meetings. All right. Um, so emergency board meetings. This is kind of one of the topics that we're supposed to talk about. Um, emergency board meetings are covered in government code section, excuse me, 54956.5. Um, and I'll just read to you kind of a pertinent section. In the case of an emergency involving matters upon which prompt action is necessary due to the disruption or threatened disruption of public facilities, a legislative body may hold an emergency meeting without complying with either the 24-hour notice requirement or the 24-hour posting requirement of section 54956 or both of the notice and posting requirements. So an emergency meeting can happen and, well, you know what, I'm, I'm going to amend my statement about rare emergency meetings. Uh, 
right before the school closures, um, we were having emergency meetings like crazy. And in fact, you probably had one, uh, if my memory serves me correctly. Um, and this was, for the first time in my career, a situation besides an earthquake or besides the school shooting situation where you look at that section, you kind of dust it off and go, all right, well, this seems to fit the, uh, the reason to have an emergency board. Um, and so school districts across the state were holding emergency board meetings um, on that, what is it, March 10th, I believe, the Friday, or maybe March 13th. March 13th, yeah, that's right. Um, and then on Saturday, in some cases, they were holding emergency board meetings. Um, and it was very clear that it, it met that uh, requirement. Now, there's a second part of this in terms of what the school board is supposed to do in these cases. They're supposed to uh, submit the information to each local newspaper of general circulation, which because newspapers are kind of going away, that becomes a challenge. Uh, and also radio and television stations. And so that's also, you know, radio stations are a, a dying industry as well. They're all centralized, but um, you're supposed to send the information there. And, and that was the recommendation, obviously, during the pandemic to get this out as, as widely distributed as you can. Um, and so there are some different notice requirements that are included with emergency meetings. So what's an emergency situation? That, that language is specifically included uh, in the reason for calling an emergency meeting. And that's defined uh, in the same section, 54, 956.5. Um, an emergency situation means both of these things, not just one or the other, but both. Uh, an emergency, which shall be defined as a work stoppage, crippling activity, or other activity that severely impairs public health, safety, or both, as determined by a majority of the members of the legislative body. And two, a dire emergency, which shall be defined as a crippling disaster, mass destruction, terrorist act, or threatened terrorist activity that poses peril so immediate and significant that requiring a legislative body to provide one hour notice before holding an emergency meeting under this section may endanger the public health, safety, or both, as determined by a majority of you can see that this is has pretty limited application, which is why they're not very common. Um, however, on occasion, as came up on February 2nd, there may be a situation where a board has reason to add an item to the agenda that wasn't placed on the agenda at the time the agenda was posted. And there is a provision in the Brown Act that allows for that, um, 54954.2. Um, there are three criteria that are available to a board if there's a desire to put an item on the agenda that wasn't posted. So the first criteria is upon a determination by a majority vote of the legislative body that an emergency situation exists as defined in 54956.5. So we just went over what an emergency situation is. It's pretty limited and you have to meet both of those criteria. Um, so that's typically not, um, when, when clients call us and say, we've got an emergency, can we add this to the agenda? They're not typically calling about that type of emergency. I'll tell you which one they're usually calling about. The second one, uh, is upon a determination of two thirds of vote of the majority of the legislative body present at the meeting, that there is need to take action to take, a, uh, the need to take immediate action and that need for action came to the attention of the local agency subsequent to the agenda being posted as specified in subdivision A. So there's two things in that section. It had to come to the attention of the legislative body or the local agency after the agenda was posted. So when we're looking at this section, you have to think, did we have any reason to think that this condition existed when the agenda was posted and should we have put it on the agenda? If the answer to that question is yes, you probably shouldn't be using this section. The other issue that's in this is that reference to subdivision A that completes the sentence. That's referring back uh, to government code section 72 hour notice requirement. Um, that's specific to government code section 54954.2A. That's the 72 hour notice requirement. You can only invoke this provision at a regular board meeting. And I think that's probably where the district attorney 
um, reach their conclusion. It was my recommendation not to do it that day uh, for a number of reasons. The issue that could have come up is that two-thirds majority vote. Um, that's kind of the weird ambiguity uh, that was in the law. Um, but my recommendation was to not do it for this reason, because it was a special meeting, and the issue at, that was at hand was known before the meeting uh, took place. And so uh, I didn't feel that it met the, the, the criteria for that particular provision. Then can I ask how those those weren't my words. My recommendation was to not do it. That wasn't told to you. So yeah. there was a miscommunication between you and me by the superintendent because that's on tape. That okay. said this is a gray area and it can, those sections can be interpreted either way. My recommendation was a strong don't do it. But we talked about mm -hmm. that ability for two thirds of the board to vote if an emergency situation exists. In my opinion, the conditions didn't arise to meet a dire situation. My concern was if the question of does an emergency situation exist was put before the board and the board voted and said yes, I still think that there was probably a Brown Act violation because I don't think that the conditions existed to meet that emergency situation criteria that was in the Brown Act. Right, so the vote didn't go through and the item wasn't agendized. But it was discussed, and I think that's, and, and it was a special meeting, mm -hmm. so this provision can't be invoked at a special meeting. It can only be invoked at a regular board meeting. So, I, so what, I also have a question too about the 72 hours. Yeah. So on that Thursday, because I remember I was in Nashville, Thursday night we get this thing, you're supposed to appear on Wednesday morning at 8.30 for a special board meeting about going virtual. So then Monday, the agenda gets changed. Now it's not a virtual, it's now we're going to, I guess, put it off till the 16th. There wasn't 72 hours before that meeting when the agenda items changed. How can you continuously change agenda items? It was a special you, meeting. Yeah. And so the 24? the 24 hour notice uh, is all that was required. So you could change, so like, say we have a special meeting, so we change something every single day up until the board meeting, is what you're saying. I don't remember if there I don't remember if there was an agenda posted prior to January 31st or if the first agenda that was posted is January 31st. If I was pressed and had to give you an answer today, my recollection is there's only one agenda that was posted because I believe I only provided one agenda to the district attorney's office because they asked about when that agenda was posted. And I don't believe we said one was posted on this day and one was posted on a different day. And I thought there was one posted because I got a lot of phone calls from it on Friday and I think the next one was posted on maybe Tuesday with the new change. Yeah. But I could be wrong. Yeah, my, my best recollection is that there was only one. So in the future, if you're saying something different, the superintendent's telling us differently as to keep it on tape, how do we rectify that if you're not in every single board meeting? Well, hopefully we don't ever have that situation again. Um, I was sitting in my office in Riverside listening to the meeting, um, and so that was the situation we were, we were in. So, um, but I think again, the, the bottom one of the issues for me is if, I, if an attorney tells me it's a gray area, you have to make it. You have to make a decision. Because it could be taken either way, perhaps, um, and and so just know that you're taking risks. But if it's worth it to you to take those risks, and yeah, it, it, that may be something you want to do. That's right. Um, but it, I mean, I mean, I've had many attorneys tell me you should have asked for beforehand or something like that. Better to ask for permission than ask for forgiveness. Right. And it's just um, something that I, I try to avoid gray areas for Brown. I can a lot of things. Yeah. But that I think that's. Yeah. Like I said, my concern was that the question of an emergency situation would come up and that it would just create a cascading problem. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I can only give advice. I can only make recommendations and people can only do with that what they want. And so when, I'm, when, every, when you're giving advice as an attorney, you give clients all of the available information. Would have been, um, 
I wouldn't have been providing all the information if I didn't tell them that there is a provision that they could invoke. I don't think it'll work, but, and so perhaps that's where the gray area language came from to simplify that discussion. I don't know, I'm not Dr. Alsace. Um, all right. So again, I think that that's probably what formed the basis for the district attorney's finding. Um, I think that that information is sufficient on the record that somebody could have made that finding without asking any questions. And I tried to look to see if the Orange County District Attorney's Office Public Integrity Unit posts an investigation manual that would explain um, what their processes are. Because, you know, for example, the Department of Justice posts an investigation manual. Uh, the Office for Civil Rights posts an investigation manual. So you can see what their procedures are. But the Orange County District Attorney's Office did not have one online. Um, so I wasn't able to see what their practices are. So another question. So this is a special board meeting. And we've had two board meetings in January that have been basically stopped after four minutes and two minutes. So nobody's had a chance to do any papers or nothing. So there are no circumstances in the future if this ever happened again, where these board meetings are just adjourned and we have no way of speaking, no, no nothing. We're just out of standstill. So you can't bring forward that emergency agenda item that I brought forward because other people have told me, other attorneys, that I could do that. So that's my question is, are we in an emergency situation because we have not been able to put anything on an agenda, we've not been able to discuss anything. So for an entire month, there's been silence and we get a special meeting about going possibly virtual. And so that emergency agenda item for the government code can never be used because it's only a special board meeting? No, there's a remedy. Okay. If you believe a dire situation exists, you call an emergency meeting. So we had a special meeting, so what it should have done is adjourn that special meeting and then I should have called for an emergency meeting. Yes, but it, again, it, calling for an emergency meeting requires a vote of the... Uh, right, so I guess it'll have a speaker and try yeah. to call for an emergency meeting and then we could have met the next day? Would that help? That uh, again, in, right in my opinion, I don't think the conditions exist to justify I'm saying, an emergency I'm not saying meeting. what were the conditions, I'm saying in the future only if the conditions exist. Okay. So but the, that's the remedy at a remedy at a special board. So we would well, end the special let me, board meeting let me back and up. call for an emergency? No. Let me back up. The remedy I think is to uh, and, and I'm not sure whether this is possible or not, but to communicate a desire to have an item on the agenda for a special board meeting. You could have that could have happened. But it couldn't happen if it's just called and it's agenda I don't remember all of the facts. I don't remember how much time was between when the notice of the special meeting was given to board members or not. But it, it is possible to petition the superintendent and say, can not, we put this on? the procedure we were using where you need to have three which board was, members. Which was agreed upon by the board, is my understanding. And so, a workshop like yeah. this, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it, it was an interesting situation. I don't think the appropriate remedy would be to adjourn the special meeting and, and call a special board meeting or an emergency board meeting. Um, If the situation was dire and you believe that the conditions warranted having an emergency board meeting, uh, I suppose you could do that. But I don't. I don't think that. Like I said, emergency board meetings are invoked extremely rarely, um, and, and I don't think that that putting that in our in our back pocket as a potential tool um, is an effective and appropriate use of that provision of ground. So hundreds of kids not being in school is not an emergency. Um, it's not an emergency as defined by the Brown Act. All right. Um, and then the third one, this is, this is, I like to call this third criteria for getting items on the agenda at the last minute, the, the oops, we screwed up provision. Um, this is the item was posted pursuant to subdivision. I'm, I'm sorry, that's not. I, the second one is also the oops, we screwed up provision. This is the one I get called about the most for clients to say, hey, we forgot to put approval of hiring a new director of IT onto the agenda. Um, can we do that? It doesn't meet this, this criteria under section two. So that would be at a regular board meeting. Um, so that's the one that's usually the one where a client will call me and say they forgot to add something. Can we add it? And it's, it the answer is 99.9%. No, it doesn't. Because they knew that they were needed to hire this guy um, when they posted the agenda, so that that pretty much cuts them off from being able to 
Um, as I mentioned, items can only be added to an agenda under the oops, we messed up, or it was on a prior agenda, and we're adding it to this one too at a regular board meeting. You can only do that at a regular board meeting that's agendized with 72 hours notice. Um, like I said, adding the items to a special board meeting on an emergency basis is not an available option, but if an emergency arises, like a legitimate emergency is recognized by the statute, when there's a special meeting, like I said, the remedy would be to call an emergency meeting to deal with that emergency. So if somebody had, by coincidence, had a special board meeting scheduled for March 13th to talk about something completely unrelated to COVID, and then all of a sudden we get word that schools are shutting down the following week, the appropriate order of actions would be to hold the special meeting as agendized or cancel it because of concern about public safety and then call a separate special board meeting or emergency <laughs> board meeting to deal with the impending emergency. That would have been the proper order of operations in that case. I'm not aware of anybody that dealt with that, but um, putting it out there. All right. Um, just because we're talking about the Brown Act, I want to just quickly review the teleconferencing rules for agendas. Um, teleconferencing is allowed under the Brown Act. However, under the traditional teleconferencing rule, not the state of emergency rule that allows school boards to meet uh, remotely if public health conditions warrant, um, the traditional teleconferencing rules require a board to post an agenda at each teleconferencing location. So if you're teleconferencing from your home, you would have to post an agenda in a publicly accessible place at your home. Um, we've had absurd situations. We've had people on cruise ships uh, who wanted to attend the school board meeting. They were going to be in port at the time the school board meeting was going to take place. So they had a predictable location, and so we sent them an agenda. They got the ship to print it out. 